0: Welcome to this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast, where I am joined by my friend and fellow analyst, Raymond Jang. In this episode, we take a look at two ASX-listed distribution businesses, being Supply Network, which trades under the ticker symbol SNL, and National Tyre Wheel, which trades under the ticker symbol NTD. We take a look at both these companies. Raymond gives us a pretty thorough overview of Supply Network and why it has achieved such impressive returns on invested capital through time. We also draw some parallels between it and companies like BAPCOR. Over on my side of the fence, I'm talking about National Tire and Wheel and basically what the future holds now for this business that it has some debt and is coming off the back of a few years of pretty strong acquisitions. The company has come out with some results recently. We take a look at those and kind of get to the bottom of what the future may hold for the company's dividend yield. We also start the show with a discussion about Uh, why ETFs seem to be taking a hold of the market and some of the numbers out of SelfWealth, our official broker partner of the Australian Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend and fellow analyst, Raymond Jang. Raymond Jang, welcome to this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast, mate.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here.
0: Filming in person.
1: Yeah, in Sydney. So, <laughs> What are you doing down in Sydney? <laughs> Your home ground, mate. Your home ground. Yeah. Um, weather's turned it on as well.
0: So. Yeah. Uh, I heard earlier this year that um, basically we swapped Melbourne and Sydney swap weather. You guys got heaps of rain. We got some sun, but it was very cold. So yeah. now I've come up to Sydney and you've turned it on for me, so thank you.
1: Yeah, timing is um, perfect. So
0: Timing is everything Yes, in investing as in life, by the sound yeah. of it. So. Very hard
1: to do, almost impossible, but yeah. um, Sydney's done it for you. So
0: Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> um, what have you been doing lately, mate? What have you been working on? Um, the last
1: uh, major task I did was a massive research piece for Claude. Um, his yep. a rich life. Um, did uh, a piece on Levesa, Yep, a very interesting company, Um, Something that um, I think is outside my flywheel because it's a product for females. But um, Mm. it was really good to get stuck into a high-quality management team and really um, look at all the retail competitors as well. Mm. Um, Yeah, it was a bit of fun.
2: Um, Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, well, we did the podcast on it not too long ago. Mm. And I know you did the write-up for Claude on A Rich Life and um, Twitter loved it. Twitter was uh, a buzz with your, your write up, so you must be doing something right, which is great. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, it was uh, good fun.
0: Yeah. If if you're listening to this or watching and you want us to cover a particular company or industry or something, please write into us podcast at ras.com.au and um, Raymond and I can take a look at it. Uh, it's great if we can have some interesting companies that no one's heard of. If you want us to take a look, I got a message earlier this morning about Horizon, which is the rail network business. I've never looked at that business. So, um, that's one that we can, we can maybe talk about in the future, but- What's the ticket code? Oh, you're testing me. I'm going to say it's <laughs> AZJ. Yeah. Let's have a look. sex AZJ, I'm just pr- punching oh, okay. it into Google. Yep, that's the yeah. one, Horizon okay. Holdings okay. Limited. There you go. That's so much I know. So, actually, yeah. we had to do a study on Horizon, which was QR National, I believe, before this. Yeah. And um, we went at uni. Um, we had to basically figure out, like, according to like regulation, that set prices on the the rail networks. What impact that would have on the valuation of the company? It was. I don't know how I got through that subject, but um, I did. Mm. And uh, it was an interesting case study. But that's about as close as I've got. So maybe we can we can look at that in the future. So today we're going to talk about um, two companies. We're going to talk about Supply Network, which is SNL that's the ticker symbol yep. and we're going to talk about national tire and wheel which is ntd supply network is truck and bus parts yeah exactly. that right yeah and um national tire and wheel does tire and wheels surprisingly yep. um and we're going to talk about like the, the origin story of the business overview mm. talk about management some of the risks and um, basically what we found looking at those businesses and then you dear listener can make the decision of whether mm. uh, you like either of the businesses or, or one or the other um, I think we just talked off air about which one's more interesting, but hey, there was something that I messaged to you the other day on Slack, um, which is just a bit of a trend in the data that I saw. This episode, by the way, is powered by SelfWealth, our official broker sponsor of the Australian Investors Podcast. Uh, so shout out to SelfWealth. And they actually did their year-end review data, uh, which is where they look at all the trades from all SelfWealth users, about 120,000 of them. and. There's heaps of data that they collect, and one of the pieces of data that I was interested in is the difference between ETF investors and stock investors. Hmm. And the top 20 stocks inside Selfwealth, um, there was 6.3 billion dollars of shares that traded hands, or changed hands, I should That's say. Massive amount. Massive amount, right? Now there were of the top 10 ETFs, there was 2.9 billion. Hmm. So 2.9 billion for ETFs. billion for shares. But the interesting part to me was year over year. So, year over year, the top 10 ETFs went from 2.1 billion to 2.9 billion of traded value. So, it's like 30% growth, just under. For shares, which is a figure I didn't tell you off, but before recording today, mate, for shares, they went from 5.8 billion to 6.3 billion. So not nearly the same amount of growth, but mm. more in value. Yeah. Um, and this kind of raises the, I guess, I guess it highlights something to me that I think I'm seeing in a lot of data is that a lot of investors are turning towards ETFs more and more. Mm. Um, the thing that maybe f- flies in the face of that thesis is the average trade value for the top 10 ETF is $14,000, um, whereas the top 20 shares is $28,000. However, in those ETFs, there's inverse ETFs and negative uh, and geared ETFs. So the, the, I will give the five most popular ETFs in Australia of 2020 of FY22, which was the Vanguard VAS ETF, the uh, bear, strong bear ETF from BDSH, BBOZ, the gear ETF, which is a leveraged ETF, hmm. VGS is global shares from Vanguard, and VDHG, which is the diversified fund. The five most popular shares were Fortescue, Westpac, ANZ, ComBank, and, of course, BHP. There you'd expect them. I, I didn't expect Fortescue to be at the top, though.
1: Yeah, it's done quite well. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I think over the last maybe decade.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's been crazy. Yeah. it's Over the last decade, Fortescue's almost gone bust yeah. and then turned into a monster. Yeah. Like it's just the dividends that it's paid with iron ore prices being so high. 804 Million was that million dollars? Eight hundred four million dollars of traded value in Fortescue shares through Fortescue, uh, through self wealth alone, which is pretty interesting. But anyway, I think yeah. this is. Um, I think if I could stare into my crystal ball, I reckon it, for ETFs, all the data is pointing to more and more and more um, value getting poured into them, which makes sense because they're diversified in one go. Hmm. Uh, so you can build a core portfolio out of low-cost ETFs, and then hmm. you can have your individual shares. Um, and your active strategies around the outside. So interesting, we'll see what happens in the next 12 months. But for now, um, yeah, really interesting to see ETF still powering portfolios. Mate, let's talk about some companies. Do you want to go first or shall I?
1: Um, Yeah, up to you, Owen. Um, I'm happy to talk about Supply Network. Okay. You don't feel like talking about tires? Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, my doesn't love to talk about tires. Um, Why don't you go first? And while you're talking, I'm going to pull up on my computer here. I'm going to pull up some data on Supply Network and um, hopefully we can keep the conversation going from there. So, what is Supply Network? How did it start?
1: Yeah. So, Supply Network is a very interesting company. It was founded by Harry Forsyth back in 1970. So, it's got a really long history. And he simply started selling spare parts to um, one of the biggest bus manufacturers. I'm not sure if you uh, you know the name, uh, Leyland Buses.
0: Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay. I feel so, like I have, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you're older than me, so that, that might explain. <laughs> <laughs> I look a lot older than you. <laughs> um, But yeah, so if you notice the double-decker buses, um, the really old vintage buses, that's what Leyland manufactured. And he really focused on selling spare parts to that bus manufacturer and then listed in 1987. And it's um, also selling truck spare parts now and that's driving a lot of the recent growth, especially in the last five years. Um, as to what it actually does, um, it sells truck and bus spare parts Mm -hmm. so when you think of fleet management providers and bus uh, fleet operators if the bus or truck breaks down um, they need to go back to the repairer or back to the depot they might have an in-house team and they need to you know get the truck or bus Mm. uh, on the road and it's really important for them to get the truck or Bus back on the road, because time is money. Uh, mm. Time is of the essence uh, for those companies. And from the repairer's perspective, it's really important to get that uh, spare part uh, really quickly in time. Um, and have a guess how many spare parts go into building a, an actual
0: truck. Jesus, yeah. I wouldn't know because I I, I don't know. I feel like this one of these numbers that is just like so unbelievable because the way you're setting this up, I'm like, I don't know. I'm gonna guess like, I don't know, two thousand. That's
1: um. That's just the number of parts that goes into building the engine. Oh wow! So the actual truck itself, there's thirty thousand individual spare parts so it just wow. shows you like how many little pieces actually goes into building the truck yeah wow um so it's not your typical lego piece where you put a couple of blocks <laughs> together and put some wheels on the bottom <laughs> as you usually do with lego
0: so can you think of this company like person uh, like Bapcore? yeah Which
1: exactly like yeah yeah Bapcore is one of the competitors Bapcore is much more focused on um the commercial vehicles yeah and also um, they run the autobahn stores yeah retail yeah retail focus and that probably explains why the return on assets is is lower than supply network because they have to spend much more money on marketing to um reel in those retail customers
0: yeah yeah and so okay so the business has been around for a long time how big is it
1: um in terms of market cap um it's roughly 400 million dollars at the moment and revenue has grown quite a lot um so you have supply network you have Bapcore, and then you have a third competitor um, called maxi parts maxi parts is more focused on manufacturing um, the actual trucks um, trailers tippers and vans Tippers, as in you know those massive yellow um, mining, yeah, 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 those trucks. So that's why their gross margins a bit lower because they have to um, incur a lot of costs in actually manufacturing and sourcing the materials to build those uh, vehicles. Um, So aftermarket um, spare parts makes up a small portion of their revenue, and yeah, so those three players probably take around 30 percent of you know total market share Mm. in the aftermarket parts space Um, so i think moving forward especially in the current macroeconomic environment with rising inflation rising interest rates you'll see these bigger players have a stronger balance sheet and also um, a bigger scale a bigger network and i think they will naturally over time this oligopoly Structure will um, will do well mm. over the long term.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, how about management then? So, because uh, I, 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 I've got to admit, uh, everyone that I did actually read Raymond's write up. So he's done a write up for Rask before uh, the show, which is what initially made me so interested. Because mm. I'd always looked at it and thought, Supply Network. It sounds like, to be honest, it doesn't sound like the type of thing that I'm going to invest in. Mm. But it. Um, the more I've learned about it the more impressive it is mm. and I feel like management's a key like it's worthy of like a, a point in itself mm.
1: management is the actual executives is it's a very unique set of um, executives I think I haven't come across a management team like this okay from reviewing a lot of ASX companies uh, I was reading um, a book called good Good f- um, to great yep. by Jim Collins and he mentions how um, the best leaders actually uh, are not obsessed about you know their their celebrity status and um, talking about themselves and when you see annual reports where they often use we in talking about their achievements yeah, and you see that yeah. yeah you see that a lot in the annual reports and another very interesting thing I noticed was that Every single annual report that you see uh, nowadays in particular, you see a lot of photos. It's very glossy. The supply network is absolutely opposite. They don't even have photos for the executive team. So it just shows that you know they're not really focused about you know their own personal uh, brand. It's more about the company itself. Yep. Um, and that's probably why the executive team has stayed around for – um, I think the average tenure for the executive management team is 16 years, which is wow. a bloody long time <laughs> yeah, when you yeah. talk about careers. Yeah, um, staying in the one job for that. And that's
0: the average, right? There'll be yeah. people that stayed a lot longer than that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, CEO, um, so he's been around for 22 years, um, and the founder Harry Forsyth has um, still owns 30 percent of the company. So, huh? Okay. There's and when you talk of, of, so
0: there's a lot of alignment, right?
1: Yeah. When you talk about performance measures, it's very well aligned because they're focused on total shareholder return, mm. uh, second being return average return on equity, and the third one is return on investment. And I think those measures have led to um, very sound capital allocation. Mm. Uh, and you can see that from the the rate of return on diluted earnings per share over a very long period of time. Um, because they've spent so much time trying to improve their supply chain efficiencies. For example, they were using third-party delivery drivers um, to deliver that final you know, spare part from the, the distribution center to the retailer and then to the end consumer. Mm. And they weren't happy with the, the standards um, of the third party delivery drivers so they decided to take it upon themselves and uh, bring everything in-house so it's vertically integrated um, and you know over 15 20 years they've they know what works and what doesn't so mm. um, I think this quote by the management team in the 2019 annual report sums up you know their approach and why it's they've been so successful um, They said there is no single game changer for our industry and our plans for profitable growth continue to be built on many small steps that improve service levels and operating efficiency. And Mm. I think they've just, you know, it's a boring company, boring industry, but um, they've excelled at, you know, what they do best is to provide the best possible range of spare parts and doing it very efficiently and getting it at the best price.
0: Yeah, you said that it's a lot of small steps, right? Yeah. Um the return on capital, I'm just looking in the ticket terminal now. On the return on capital is currently around about 26%, but it's been over it's been over uh 20%, as high as 34% for basically nine out of the past 10 years. So yeah. this is a business that You know, it's compounding really fast internally. Mm -hmm. How have they done that? Is that from like more distribution centers? Mm. How have they grown so fast?
1: I think a big reason uh, for, for that is the knowledge that they've built over a very long period of time because spare parts, there's so many different spare parts. So the staff member at Supply Networks, they really need to know what specific spare part that um, is needed to is needed to be provided to um, the repairer Mm. and when you build a really strong culture and very knowledgeable team um, over a long period of time that provides a really big barrier to entry a big competitive advantage over competitors because they've been doing it for the last you know 35 years since they listed Mm. so that equips them with, you know, the knowledge to really provide exceptional exceptional customer service and um, providing it providing the parts as quickly as possible um, because at the end of the day, I think because they're really just, you know, um, distributing the end product, it's all about optimising efficiency and providing the best possible customer service. Um, yeah
0: okay so how do you how do you think about the risks like what are the risks of supply network then
1: the immediate risks that come to mind include rising inflation we've seen um, material energy and shipping costs rise and management have flagged that It has increased 5 to 10%. But in their most recent update, they said they've been able to pass on those costs. But I think it's something to be wary of moving forward um, and to keep a mind of whether or not it's structural and affect um, operating margins um, moving forward. So I think that needs to be worked into your valuation. Another big risk would be supply chain risk because they're essentially in the supply chain um, industry so um, any any delays in getting parts to uh, Australia might lead repairers to um, rely on you know independent stores rather than supply network so there could be loss revenue or loss opportunities mm. um, from um, not optimizing the supply chain?
0: Mm. Um, I guess those a bit risks that people could monitor. I was just looking at the um, gross profit margin and over time, and it's been pretty resilient, mm. so like over 40%. And I guess like supply chain, you could monitor those types of things through, um, I guess, through things like uh, return on invested capital or you could... Listen to management's commentary, how fast oh. the top line is growing, et cetera, et cetera. Passing on costs is actually something that's really important to a lot of companies. And we're finding out now uh, with inflation so high globally, how many companies actually have pricing power, mm. which is interesting to see. Mm. And um, I mean, the company that I'm about to talk to seems to have not been able to pass on all the costs. Mm. So uh, it has suffered, we'll get to that in a second. Um, okay. so we don't necessarily have to go into super detail here, but how did you go about valuing supply network?
1: Yeah, so I completed a traditional discounted cash flow, but it was um, a reversal of that. So I was trying to understand what the current share price, at the time it was hovering around 9.50, I think it's um, $10 at the moment. I think it's reasonably priced because it's, uh, management's been guiding uh, revenue growth of 12% over the next few years. and management have had a history of um, under-promising and over delivering. So I think, you know, based on a reverse um, discounted cash flow, I think it's not aggressive assumptions that need to be made to generate that kind of return. So it's probably fairly priced. And when you look at on a relative basis, I think it's you know it's the price of earnings is um around 20 times at the moment Mm. um and that's been the average since it's listed so and then you look at the historical price to earnings multiple for the all all all, all odds um index which is around 17 times it's um would you put supply network you know in the category of an average company within the asx um not if my, it's compounding that fast. Yeah, yeah, my opinion based on the management team and um, the quality of the business, it's it's probably deserves a bit more premium. Mm-hmm. So, through those two lenses, um, I think it's you know, reasonably priced. But obviously, um, I would prefer to you know, invest in it at a cheaper price.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds like a really. It's kind of like a. I feel like it's like a vanilla business for a lot of people. So I think most people could probably wrap their head around what it actually does. Um, It's just an anecdote. I was in, I was on the Gold Coast a couple of weeks ago and um, I was talking to the cab driver who said he used to do the driving for a um, auto store, auto parts store. And he said um, "Bapco like Burson opened up Mm. and basically like that family business closed down as soon as Mm. Burson was in the area. And um, he he also said that Repco is like the key competitor and Hmm. has had to really step up their game in the areas where Burson has arrived. And so I feel like supply network is kind of like doing maybe something similar, but in truck and bus parts, which is pretty powerful. Hmm. Um, And these are pretty, like traditionally, these are pretty defensive businesses too, right? Because you don't need less parts just because the economy has taken a downturn. You might substitute parts or something like that but you're still going to go to the lowest cost provider right
1: yeah i think it comes also comes down to the strength of the relationships with the suppliers as well i think they've really harnessed and fostered really good relationships with their key suppliers um i think yeah I think over time there's you know a couple of industry growth drivers as well mm. like you have uh, a big shift to ev vehicles um so a lot more mining trucks are transporting minerals to you know provide the minerals and resources so once those trucks wear and tear over time then they'll need replacement parts And you know, also there's more technology being embedded in the um trucks and buses because you're trying to um, op- optimize engine efficiency um, making it more safe as well as reducing emissions so that's that's another um you know, growth catalyst there
0: mm. uh, one thing i like to do and i talked about return on capital before one thing i like to do is also look at return on capital and plot that against uh, shares outstanding or yeah. um because it's, you know the the shares outstanding actually give you a sense of if the company is issuing capital like issuing equity capital. Hmm. Um, can it maintain? You probably hear the bus go past just now. Probably needs a yeah. probably needs a part. <laughs> needs to go to supply network and get a yeah. part. Um, yeah, uh, I guess the plotting the. The shares outstanding and return on capital just gives you a sense of how they're funding the business. Mm. If they've been super diluted with the mat acquisitions and so on and so forth, but yeah, I and mean, then it's a really interesting business, and it's really um, it pays a dividend too. So yeah. like a modest dividend, which is kind of cool, uh, which you'd expect it to with so much insider ownership. Typically, mm. smaller to mid-cap companies that have such high insider ownership, the founders or CEOs, and that they love to get paid. So especially fully frank mm. dividends. So mm. um, it's a good business. Do you own it? Uh, no,
1: yeah. um, so but looking to, you know, really take action once um, there's any dislocation yeah. in the in the value.
0: Once we see a dislocation of the price to value <laughs> ratio, <laughs> I like it. Um, that's Supply Network SNL. So it's a good, yeah. it's a good one. It's a good pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're very chilled Thanks. out when you're giving it. It's, it's <laughs> kind of cool. I like it. Yeah. Um, National Tire and Wheel NTD NTAW. Also,
1: also in the same space. So we're yeah. just talking about vehicles all day. When they
0: merge. They should merge. I feel like yeah. supply network would not go for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'll. Um, okay. So I'll give a bit of a story on National Tire and Wheel. So National Tire and Wheel, which is NTD on the ASX, um, it's actually kind of like a. It's it's a bit of a interesting business because from the perspective of it's not today what it was many years ago or even just a few years ago. So the business didn't IPO that long ago, but the the business is kind of tracing its roots back to 1989 when a guy called Terry Smith identified a need for four by four tires in Australia, principally four by four tires. So if you know Mickey Thompson or you know Cooper tires, these are both two brands that were exclusively sold through, I guess, the the origin business. Um, And what basically happened uh, over that time is um, in around about 2012, 2013, a guy called Peter Ludeman um, jumped into that business and then took over as CEO. And his background was private equity and uh, dealing with companies through acquisitions and so on and so forth. And from that point on, um, the business morphed from just selling exclusive tires on 4x4 and that. And they started to think, well, maybe we can make acquisitions um, the actual industry itself, which I'll get to in a minute, is very interesting how it's made up. So most tyres are made in Asia and then they're brought to Australia. Uh, and one of the interesting things is that the cost of a tyre, I think, is the, 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 the stat is roughly 30% of the cost of a tyre is in commodities, so like rubber, oil, uh, so on and so forth. So that's actually one risk to um, tyre distributors and um, original uh, tyre I guess manufacturers mm. is the cost of a tire, and um, interestingly, like people probably think. Just as I'll oh, quickly uh, push this out, it's just that um, one of the things that I thought was like, oh well, autonomous and electric vehicles do they use tires at the same rate that mm. you know regular combustion engines do? And yeah, the answer is yes, and sometimes more. Mm. So um, I think that's just to clear that kind of ground is like, is that a threat to this industry? Um, but if you look at the, the prospectus of National Tire and Wheel, it's super informative of how the tire industry works. And I've got the chart oh, in front of me. I'm going to try and explain it for people that are um, listening. But basically, you can think of like global brands like Bridgestone, Goodyear, Michelin. Those three brands, Goodyear, Bridgestone, and Michelin, are actually vertically integrated. So that means they're not just offshore producers of tires, but they also do the distribution and the retail. So you've probably driven past a Goodyear, a Bridgestone, or a Michelin um outlet Um, and then there are other really really popular brands in Australia and globally Cooper International Yokohama Kumo Toyo Pirelli and Hankook Mm. these are the like the big Mm. uh, manufacturers and there's like those cheap knockoffs you can get which are like like a half the price and mm. that last year, a third of the time. You yeah, know, I had a yeah.
1: bad experience with one of those tires. I thought I'd be able to get them on the cheap, but it only lasted me six months.
0: Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Yeah, well, that happens, right? And I think, oh, what a waste as well, right? than like, yeah. rubber. Um, it's actually kind of interesting because when you think about it, the size of your handprint is basically yeah. what touches the road. And yeah. so, the big push for quality tires is, all that protects you and your family from spinning off the road is a handprint. Mm. You want to know that that rubber is good and that tire yeah. is good. Um, and a good set of tires does last forever. Like I got some Pirellis on my Subaru. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's
1: I got Pirellis now as well. Yeah, so it's feeling, yeah. <laughs> feeling the difference. Feeling the difference. Look at us go. Yeah. Um,
0: so, so, okay, so we've got these different brands. Now, when National Tire um, was exclusive tire, um, basically, what happened is the the business signed a long term contract with a long term exclusive deal under Terry Smith with, uh, with uh, the brands uh, Mickey Thompson and Coopers. And for those people that aren't 4x4 enthusiasts, Mickey Thompson and Coopers are pretty reliable ties in Australia. Like if you're yeah. driving a 4x4, there's a pretty good chance you've got that on there. And so he saw that the industry was taking off and blah, 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 he got in, got this deal. And then he started to um, distribute. And um, that was a real growth driver of the business. And it wasn't that long ago, even today, after many acquisitions at National Tire, I think did about a quarter of its business just through those brands. So a quarter of its business was driven by those two brands, which if you're an outside investor and you're thinking, okay, that's a bit of concentration Mm. risk on one supplier and also the exclusive rights. So if you go to a, a, a store um, and you wanna put particular tires on, they could buy them in um, if they are able to, but if they're not, then you might have to go to another hmm. um, retailer. So National Tire until recently, which I'll explain, was not a tire retailer. It only did the distribution, bringing the tires in, shipping them to clients. And so if you think about it, there's this whole side of what we know as consumers which are like the, the resellers and the servicing side of the tire industry. So here we've got Goodyear, Bridgestone, Michelin and Hankook slash Jacks, but we also have Tire Power, Bob Jane, Kmart, and there's all the smaller brands as well. Mm. Where National Tire sits in all of this is it's an independent tire distributor. So it can source tires from just about anyone mm. and then distribute them to just about anyone. And that's a kind of the, the proposition. Since the... Since the uh, the IPO, uh, National Tire has actually uh, made a series of massive acquisitions. The first was Tires for You. And Tires for You was almost like a reverse takeover because it was a bigger business. Hmm. Um, Tires for You had also just bought, I think it was Tire and Tube, which is another big distributor just before National Tire bought that. So like all three of them are basically under one banner now. And since then... Uh, And you raised the point before that National Tire has bought again. It's made more acquisitions. It's Mm. bought carters. It's bought black rubber. Um, And over time, what is the result of that type of business model? Well, from a business and operating perspective, what National Tire's model is, is there are all these fantastic operators out there that have these independent brands and distribution businesses, and even some of them had retail elements as well. Mm. We'll bring them into the National Tire umbrella but we'll let them operate as the standalone businesses, kind of like the old Buffett, just let them run themselves no. or constellation Software, just let them run. And um, that sounds like a great model because then you can bring management into the fray so they understand their business while also giving them, you know, support in other ways. So maybe different tires, or- consolidate the back end so what they're currently doing is they're currently consolidating their warehouses which should save them a few million dollars a year yeah because they've got operations all over australia new zealand south africa i believe so um that's one of the synergies yeah and in many respects this is a roll-up of tire distributors so Mm. it's like that i'll be there for a good time not a long time I made a mistake with that. I was there for, I've been there for a long time. So um, we recently moved this to a hold, by the way, just to catch the chase. We moved it to a hold away from a buy for a few of the risks that I'm about to mention. And anyway, so the business today has a guy called uh, Peter Luderman, who's the CEO, the private equity uh, background, owns a, quite a few shares in the company. Terry Smith is still on the board. He owns a lot of shares in the company. Mm. And so do many of the executives that sold into the business. Yeah. But you raised a point before, mate. Did you? What did you say the the multiple of Carter's was when they made that acquisition? It was
1: fourteen times EBITDA,
0: I think. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, fourteen times EBITDA, and you said that kind of put the hairs up on the back of your neck.
1: Yeah, um, I think I do get a bit worried. Where um, I think it's probably more important to focus on you know what. Um, How much cash are the new businesses, you know, actually bringing in? And what's the value creation from this acquisition? Because $30 million. is not cheap, I think.
0: Yeah. um, There are quite a few acquisitions. And I think one of the excuses we could say may be that during corona and all that,
2: Hmm.
0: um, many businesses were affected. Hmm. And so, maybe there was depressed EBITDA. Hmm. So, the, f- the multiple looks stretched, but yeah. maybe a normalized basis, it wasn't this big. Hmm. They made another acquisition, which was a company called Black Rubber. And this business, um, as the name might suggest, actually brings something else to the National Tire and Wheel Network, which is um, Black Rubber brings a whole heap of services like tire retreading. And mm-hmm. so, the ability to retro tire saves money, saves the environment, it's a yeah. much better way to do things. And so, that kind of expertise and know how and network then can be applied to all of the other national tire hmm. um, facilities. So, then basically, you have the synergies of saving money, but also creating value. Yeah. And so, improving um, that
1: customer service. Yeah, that's of it. it.
0: And then they can serve one of the things that they have done with a bunch of these acquisitions is um, trying to go direct to. Business, So to fleet managers that you mentioned before, like yeah. bus, trucks, agricultural, mining, whatever, mm. go direct. Yeah. And then you can actually sell customers or clients um, on a cents per kilometer basis mm. rather than just like, okay, it needs to be replaced. Let's mm. do it. It's actually more like a contracted yeah. type style model. Um, but the result, just circling back to the acquisition multiple before, if I was to see 14 times EBITDA for a tire mm. distributor that maybe might grow... At GDP plus mm. one or two percent, mm. I think wow, that's pretty exy. Unless there's some serious synergy to come out of the back end, mm. um, you're, that's overs. You're paying a lot for that. Mm. And um, I think what we've what we've known, and what I've known for quite some time, is that typically in a roll-up business, what you want to see is you want to see the company that's doing the rolling up, so the bigger company to have a really stretched valuation. So like a price to earnings ratio of 20 times, um, EV to EBITDA of 10 times say. Mm. Um, Because then what you can do is you can issue your shares at, you know, if it's a P ratio of 20, that's an earnings yield or E divided by P of 5%. Mm. So that's basically what you are given up. You can issue your shares and make an acquisition of a private business that might be cheaper. So you've got that private to public arbitrage.
2: Hmm.
0: Now, National Tire hasn't been able to do that. It's issued some capital recently, but its valuation has always been very low. Hmm. So um, let me just have a look here. Uh, the company's return on capital, just while I've got it up on my screen, in the most recent 12 months so June 30, 2021 was 19%. And this was in an abnormal year. Everything that was extraneous, everything that external was positive. So um, keep that in mind when I quote that number. Uh, But if I bring up some other numbers here, and I look at the balance sheet, over time the total debt of this business has gone from, in 2016, $3 million up to 80 plus Mm. million dollars currently. So it is basically maxed out its balance sheet, and the the reason why is that the debt capital markets were more efficient than the equity capital markets. The problem that you have is in a business that doesn't have great margins that uses leverage it actually gets riskier the mm. more debt it takes on so that's why equity is often the preferred option because mm. equity holders can't say hey i want my equity money back mm. you know i want my face value back
1: there's no interest on in it so. that's it
0: yeah so it's not a legal contract that you get your all of your money that you invested whereas with debt and bonds it is so the national tire business has actually got more expensive a more uh, I would say more risky over the last few years hmm. um, and it hasn't fully benefited from the increase in valuation. So that's one thing I'm mindful of and it's one of the risks that everyone should be aware of as they listen to this. Um, the other thing is so the current, um, the current trailing enterprise value to EBITDA is six times. Hmm. The thing that, the way roll-ups work is I've found is when they add value. Mm-hmm. So you have to know your payback period mm-hmm. and you have to know like is there incremental gains? Can you do something to that business that it can't do by itself. And one of the things that's happened with National Tire is it hasn't actually extracted value. So they're trying to roll out an ERP, enterprise resource on Microsoft that's been delayed. They're consolidating some of the back end through the warehouses. They've got cross-sell opportunities. And by making more acquisitions, they've actually de-risked their business um, because they're less dependent on Cooper. Hmm. Because Cooper, I should mention this, is actually really important. Cooper was... Um, acquired by Goodyear. Hmm. So that basically took Cooper into a business that is vertically integrated.
2: Hmm.
0: Now, um, National Tire has been able to sell Cooper through the exclusive distribution, but it also sells into Goodyear stores as well, I believe. I think you can get products there too. So there is a bit of blurring of the lines, but for the most part, the contract should remain in place for a little while. At least that's what shareholders are hoping. So I, don't know, I feel like I fed everyone an overload of information on National Tire. Have I not have I covered everything, or is there something else? I
1: think um, that's a lot of very important information. I think your point about um, the acquisition strategy and the risk behind that, and that being driven by you know a lot of debt, that's um, a pertinent point. Um, something to keep a um, mind of.
2: Mm.
0: there's actually one other part is they come out with an update i've recording this on recording july 29 2022 there's actually an update i think it was earlier this week actually maybe mm. it was late last week um they come out and said that they they give out their second half guidance you know before reporting season you have confession season mm. and that's basically what we're in at the moment up until august and um it looks like based on the numbers that i was trying to back out it looks like that they've they're going the the business is organically going backwards Mm. so um, even with acquisitions it's not um, it hasn't proven recently that they've been able to get those gains out of business so here's what I wrote to members recently I said I I hope I'm right here (laughs) Um, Mm. in other words National Tire will add 90 million dollars of revenue this year but lose five million dollars of operating profits from last year Um, so They're adding revenue but it isn't creating that much value because they aren't extracting the synergies that they thought and that's because currencies have moved against them. Hmm. It's because they haven't been able to generate the free cash flow because they're getting hit by inflation and Hmm. rising prices. They did in the first half of the financial year, they did say that they had two price increases that they'd pushed through and they were planning to push more through Hmm. but I don't know how well they received. Hmm. Obviously, if we just look at the business and what it's saying Hmm. is that it's copped a hit there so
1: and on the flip side um, it might take some time for them to achieve those operating efficiencies and improving customer service um, levels as well Um, I think you know we talked about supply network they've been doing you know the same thing over 35 years so maybe those value opportunities might arise um, later in the stage and it's something that um, as an investor you have to weigh up
0: yeah you, do. yeah, you do. And I think what happens, particularly in small caps, is many investors, when they think about investing, if you give, say, give me three reasons to buy a national tyre, mm. they'll come up and they'll say these three reasons. Mm. Then you say, okay, give me three reasons to sell it. Mm. They become paralyzed because mm. all of a sudden the negative overwhelms the positive mm. and we tend to do that as investors. We jump onto Twitter or we go onto wherever yeah. and we get our source of news, the AFR, whatever, and we get freaked out and we sell. Mm. And I think... One of the things that you can talk about this through the lens of anti-fragile, so companies that hmm. don't break very easily. But I think most investors need to remember that companies aren't static, they're not glass, hmm. You know, they bend as well, they don't just break. Hmm. Uh, some companies do for sure, but most companies, are organizations that if things go bad, they adjust, they readjust and they become, that. they don't want to go out of business.
2: Hmm.
0: And so what that means is that as an investor, you sometimes have to be more patient.
2: Hmm
0: with some companies now th- that said um i think the risk has turned up on national tire mm. and i think high inflation is hurting it and i think some of the things have like supply chains and whatever have gone in reverse mm. where they were very positive a couple of years ago um so you have to understand how a company operates in a new macro environment
2: mm.
0: to be honest i think you know, the free cash flow that the business was generating one to two years ago is probably not going to be repeated anytime soon. Hmm. Um, that said, depending on how, like I modeled it through DCF, um, but also uh, through ratios or multiples, sorry. Hmm. And um, I can get to the current price, which is around about, depending on when you're listening to this, probably between 90 cents and a dollar, hmm. um, you can get to that valuation and, you um, you would probably do that with around about a 12, in my opinion, a 12%, 13% discount rate when it probably needs to be a bit higher than that now because mm. of the risk. So if you increase your, your discount rate to say 15%, aka your expected return, mm. uh, you might be looking at something you know in the 60 to 70 cents range. Mm. Um, I think the big thing for investors, and I mentioned this off-air before, is dividends. Yep. Dividends need cash flow. So if you just think about the cash flow of the business and cash flow relies on margins and revenue Hmm. and if the company can continue even just at like current pace and it can turn, um, you know, a decent operating EBITDA is what they call it, um, they could be capable of paying a dividend and paying down debt and I think they'd want to because they've got a lot of aligned directors and management. So mm. that's normally a sign that they want to pay dividends because they want fully frank dividends. They want that stuff uh, as much as an individual shareholder. So if they do that, that could underwrite a valuation, like I could put a floor mm. on it. Um, and there are still many other levers like cost outs and so on and so forth that the business could be capable of. It's mm. prob- like, I'm going to put this on record and say it's probably not an acquisition target and then I'm probably going to get a takeover of it. Mm. But um, yeah, I think that's something that can also underwrite the floor price. So, do I think it's capable of beating the market? Yes, maybe if it pays a dividend. What would I take over this or supply network right now? Probably supply network. Mm. Um, I just think it's a bit higher quality. It's a bit better insulated with wider margins, Mm. um, long-term track record and so on. So, I'd probably want to do more research on the industry for supply network before I got really comfortable with it. Um, With National Tire and Wheel, if potential yield stock, but it's a higher-risk yield stock is probably how mm. I'd summarize it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what about you? It. What would you take?
1: I think that's a very fair summary of national ties. It's a um, high-risk yield stock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm more of a conservative investor. So, I think I've – over the time, I think I've become much more um, enamored with you know, the more resilient businesses and um, – with really high quality uh, management teams with a really strong track record. So that's probably the main reasons why I would go with supply network. And um, yeah, having done the research into the industry dynamics and you make a good point about, you know, when you, you know, um, account for the negatives, you you tend to become very pessimistic. But um, after listening to, you know, the contrary views for supply network, it does strengthen my thesis for it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think it it's a much more well-insulated um, industry and business.
0: Yeah, great. Um, I agree. Uh, I think it's a yeah, high, really high-quality business, so uh, I like it. Um, for those listeners who want to learn more about these businesses, um, I think we should be able to share your write-up or maybe you can do one um, on Supply Network if you want to get your head around the business. Raymond's done a fantastic write-up on that. Um, but, If you want us to do more episodes just like this, where we dive deep into some stocks, please write into us, podcast at rask.com.au or just hit us up on social media. Is it... Rjang underscore. I always get the underscore. I always think the underscore's first. (laughs) So, Rjang underscore on Twitter. Links will be in the show notes as are mine. Um, Mate, and people can... But is that the best place to reach out to you if they want to reach out to you? Is that Twitter? Yeah, on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, cool. Okay, we're quite avid users of Twitter. Um, if you want to jump on there, you can say good day, give us some feedback, tell us what you think about National Tire or Supply Network. Raymond, mate, it's great to record in person.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, had lots of fun.
0: Yeah, great. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, mate.